You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning and welcome to Riverview Church Online. I'm really glad to be able to share with you this morning and I'm really glad that you've chosen to connect with us. I mean, even if it's not actually this morning, even if it's later in the day, later in the week, later in the month, I'm just glad that you've chosen to connect with this message. Now, before I really kick into it today, I just want to say that last week, Andrew brought an excellent and really profoundly challenging message about the church as a body which has many different parts, many members. And if you're a believer, you are one of those parts. Now, if you missed that message, I really strongly recommend that you go back and watch it. Not now, like stick with this message right now. But if you find yourself with 20 minutes in a week where you can sit down with a cup of coffee, go find that video in our Facebook video section or on YouTube, because it will be a really helpful context. Because this morning, following on from that, I want to introduce our brand new series that we will be sitting in for the next six weeks or so, and the series is called Church Redefined. Now, I want to be really clear right now that this is not about inventing a new version of church, but rather a revision of what church could or should be to redefine what it is when so much of what we are familiar with, what we've been comfortable with, has like been absolutely stripped away from us. And the question is, when we peel back all of the layers of property and program and style and tradition, what is actually left that we can still call church? But let's just park that thought for a minute. I am going to come back to that. It is the main theme today. But I want to ask you a personal question. And the question is this. Have you ever in your life experienced an identity crisis? I mean, what do I mean by that? Have you ever questioned who you are? What is your value, your purpose? Where do you fit in? Have you ever found yourself asking, what is my worth? And I'm talking beyond your career or job, beyond your skills or abilities or usefulness, beyond relationships, beyond bank accounts and possessions, beyond what others think of you or what you think others think of you, beyond all of that stuff, what defines you? What defines who you are? Have you ever thought that kind of thing? I don't know who I am anymore. It's a fairly common kind of feeling and uncertainty, particularly during times of significant change and upheaval. And like, hello, that's exactly where we are all living right now in some of the biggest upheaval kind of changes in our entire lifetimes. But some other examples could be things like relationships, stuff like divorce or or splitting up where we have found a significant part of our own meaning and purpose in somebody else in our relationship to them and we actually struggle to define ourselves individually beyond that relationship and sadly the same is true through the tragedy of bereavement as well. Or, or perhaps like when, when kids leave home and you've spent the last 20 years investing in them and nurturing them and suddenly you're having to redefine who you are beyond that parent relationship. 
another example could, could be like moving house or moving home or moving country where we, we leave an established home or community in order to step out into the uncertain and the unknown. Perhaps another example could be job loss or even retirement or or even the loss of a role or function within the church. Like if I can't preach anymore, if I can't sing anymore, if I can't lead anymore, then I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know where I fit in anymore. And then perhaps we feel as though we have to either reinvent or rediscover ourselves. And it's why people wander off into the wilderness in order to try to find themselves. And it's also behind that great old cliche about midlife crisis where middle-aged men will run off and buy themselves a sporty car. Now, for full clarity and honesty here, I've got to say the only thing between me and a brand new Mustang is the money. So if any of you fancy having me out in my midlife crisis, then please feel free to send those checks my way. I am joking, of course, please don't do that. You know, we want to matter. We we want to be respected. We want to be valued. We want to have worth. We want to have purpose and meaning and a place in society. We want to have a voice. We want to be listened to. But but listen to this, when we place our identity, our value or our worth in what we have or in what we do, then we are heading towards an identity crisis. And we actually need a firmer foundation than all of those things above that I've just mentioned. Now, let's go back to the church. I think that in some ways that the same can be true for the church, which seems to be facing something of an identity crisis right now within the recent dramatic changes and in the current situation with all of its restrictions and all of its red tape. It's been a really challenging time for church, hasn't it? I mean, suddenly not being able to to meet together, not being able so much as to pop around to each other's houses, confined to barracks, so as to speak, being forced outside of the church building whilst at the same time being locked down in our own homes uh, and having to learn new things, new technologies, simply to stay connected to one another, like WhatsApp, FaceTime and Zoom. And I'd never even heard of Zoom before March this year when lockdown began. And the thing is, even now, even as we are beginning to be able to reopen our buildings, there are still these heavy restrictions that make it difficult to figure out how that actually works. I mean, scratching our heads, trying to find new, creative, clever ways to gather, to minister, to do church. The the familiar uh, and perhaps comfortable framework has been shaken, has been stripped away and removed. uh, And now churches and church leaders around the entire world are trying to figure out what next. I mean, we're, we're facing the prospect of something ahead that looks uncomfortably different to what we have left behind. And there's no indication of when or even if things will return to normal, whatever we mean by normal. And and so now we keep hearing this new phrase, the the new normal. And and so we want to see what the new normal might look like and, and when it will actually emerge. When will the new normal commence? To be honest, I don't even like the phrase. I think it sounds really defeatist and temporary. I mean, the the one thing that I know for sure is there's nothing temporary about the church and that the church is not defeated. I don't want to find 
the new temporary normal. I, I don't want to simply settle into a new groove, a new routine. I, I'm not going to resign myself to something that is second best, like a shadow of what the church has been or what it should perhaps be. But neither am I pining to go back to what we had before. Not that there was anything wrong with that, of course. But listen, we are not looking to force ourselves into a space or a model that God does not intend for us here and now. We, we don't want to shoehorn the church's feet into a pair of shoes that no longer fit. This is the season where we are and I absolutely believe with 100% certainty that God is speaking to the church now leading the church now, building the church now, that he has purpose for us now, regardless of the situation, beyond all of the restrictions and perhaps even within the restrictions themselves, because there is no restriction ever to the word of God. It's like Paul says to Timothy, I am being chained up like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. We have a great and wonderful opportunity here to here and now to learn to be the church rather than just trying to figure out how to do church. I believe in a God who says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You know, we want to walk in faith, in courage and in confident obedience, knowing that God is still fully enthroned, even in the midst of a season that is like a dry wasteland or an empty, lonely wilderness that is full of uncertainty and pain and is uncomfortable. You know, God isn't taken by surprise. He is unshaken. He is unfazed and he is making a way forward in those lonely wildernesses. And he is pouring out streams of life giving water in the places that look like dry lifelessness. And here's the thing. If you remember nothing else, remember this today. We are his streams of living water in the wilderness. Yet we might not be able to meet where we used to meet. We might not be able to meet how we used to meet. We might not be able to do what we used to be able to do. And we might not have access to the resources that we used to have. But when we misplace the church's identity, value or worth in what it has, like buildings and resources, or in what it does, like its styles and its traditions, we are heading as a church into an identity crisis and actually we need something that is a firmer foundation than that so let's turn to scripture to find that in there and we're going to look at Matthew 16 verses 13 to 18 Matthew 16 verses 13 to 18 excuse me when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do the people say the son of man is they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, <laughs> he's the first out of the gate as always, you are the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He's doing a wordplay there. Firstly, Peter, his, his name means rock. So Peter is his name and upon the rock God is going to build his church. And the word that Jesus uses there for church is ecclesia. It means like an assembly, a meeting of an assembly or a community or congregation or a society of people. And so he is going to build his church and he goes on to say, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Amen. Wonderful words there. Now, there are four truths that I want to give you from this text that become anchor points for our identity as as church and as individuals. And the first anchor point is this, that he is the builder. It's his work. It's his building. He is growing. He is preparing. And it is outworked by the Holy Spirit's present uh, presence within us. Unless he builds the house, whatever we do is pointless and meaningless. We, we may well have to deal with the practicalities and make decisions and be creative and be led by him. And ultimately, though, it's not down to us to figure out what would be a good or a cool or a practical or a lovely way to do church. We can have a thousand good ideas, but what is the point if they are not lining up with God's ideas? He is the author. He is writing the story. Take your hand off of the pen because he is writing it. It's up to us to keep close to him, to listen to him, to keep in step with his spirit, to walk where he leads us and to be placed where he places us. That surely relieves a lot of the tension and pressure upon us, because if you are a church leader, I just want to encourage you here. The church is his to build. It's not on your shoulders. It's on his shoulders and he is building it still. Ours is to labour for him or rather co-labour with him. But he is the site manager. He is the foreman. He is the architect. He is the quantity surveyor and he is the underwriter. I guess in the building of the church, our role, we are the apprentices. So our identity is secure, not in what we do, but in who we follow, in how he builds. The second anchor point is this. He is the foundation. Jesus builds the church upon the very foundation that Peter speaks out. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That The church is built on the foundation, not of who we are, uh, of who you are, but of who Jesus is. 
that that he is who he claims to be is absolutely essential to Christianity, to the to the building of the church, and to the saving of the soul itself. That that he is the Messiah, that he is the Anointed One, the Christ spoken of throughout the law and prophets. That he is the Logos Word, who was in the beginning and was with God and was God, is God, fully God and fully man. In other words, he is the foundation. This this fact forms the foundation of the apostles' teaching, which we will look at in coming weeks. Upon this rock I will build. Who do you say he is? Listen carefully. If you have a non-God version of Jesus, like just a good wise man or a great prophet, a moral guide or teacher, you don't have a real Jesus. You don't have a foundation. What you do have is actually an identity crisis. Uh, And if you have an uncrucified version of Jesus, then you don't have freedom from or forgiveness for sins. You are still buried under the weight of your own rebellion and sinfulness and shame. You have no rescue from that if he is not crucified. And if you have an unraised version of Jesus, then there is no promise of new life for you. You cannot be a new creation raised to new life unless he was raised. All hope is false hope. There is nothing but bluster and pomp to the faith that may be claimed. So the critical identity question we each have to answer in order to have a firm foundation, a a faith bedrock, isn't who am I, but who is Jesus? The third anchor point that I want to bring up is that it is his church. He says he will build his church. I will build my church. He's the owner. Now, we may say things like, come and visit my church, welcome to my church, or, you know, my church is Riverview Church. What we mean is that this is the local expression of church to which we attend, we we journey with, we partner in the gospel with. Not that the church belongs to us, but that this is the church to which we belong. It's the other way round, not my church, my church, because I belong to it. You know, we might refer to it being Tom's church or Pastor Ivan's church or Pastor Dom's church. What we actually mean is that this is the church to which they are ordained to steward, to love, to lead as under shepherds, because Jesus is the lead shepherd, the lead pastor. He is the head of the body. Last week, Andrew spoke about the church being a body with those many different interconnected parts that are reliant upon one another. But listen, the church is not whole without each other and it's not whole without its head. Uh, A body without a head has nothing to direct it or make it function. It is undirectable. It's useless. It's purposeless. It's decapitated. It's lifeless. It's dead without its head. Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. And Colossians says, in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. So the church is his. And if you are a believer, sorry, a part of that living body, then you are his. 
Our, our identity as a church and as individual believers is secured not in who I am, but in whose I am. Remember whose you are before you try to remember who you are. Listen to this from Isaiah. It says, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. The church is his betrothed. It's his bride. It is precious in his sight. We are his and we are loved. And the fourth anger point is his power and authority. The the true church is a force to be reckoned with. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now gates, I've said this before, gates are not a weapon. Nobody ever has attacked somebody with a gate, at least to my knowledge. They are a defensive structure. They, They cannot withstand the pressing of the growing church. You know, in fact, we could see this as the church having the power and the authority to launch devastating attacks on the enemy's territory. And that is certainly true. We can take background by force. But what Jesus is actually saying here is in connection with the construction of his church, his building, the church, I will build and the gates will not prevail. The the image is more like a dam that is filling up to the point where it will burst through the flood defences, flooding the dry and barren landscape beyond with floods of living water. As the church grows, it will burst forth and the gates of hell will not be able to hold it back. Or perhaps it's like a great light that is growing in brilliance that floods the barrier between darkness and light and brings illumination. You know, believer, we have the power and the authority in Christ to tread underfoot the agents of darkness. And we have the power and authority to go into all of the world and make disciples, to add to the church's number by co-labouring with Christ in his power and under his authority. But this power is most strongly presented as a collective, as an assembly, as a gathered church. This is about the church, the collective, the together, the side by side. This is not about special individuals. Like Andrew said last week, the church is not about individuals going it alone, doing their own thing, their own special mission in a corner somewhere. But neither is it about these specially called and anointed leaders that do all the work for the rest of the church that kind of make church happen so that everyone else can just turn up and enjoy it, providing a great service. You know, the purpose and the power of the church, its identity is about that side by side. It's about the assembly. It's about the every member of the body. It is about the kingdom society. It is about the community of believers, even if they have different functions and roles within that. A good illustration of this is if you light a single match in a cave, what good is that? You're not going to chase much darkness away with a single match. But if you take a billion matches, 
then you've got something that's going to illuminate. Or another example, throw a drop of water against some flood defences. It's not going to achieve anything at all. But if you chuck millions of gallons at it, then it's going to breach and it's going to overflow. The identity of the true church is infused with power and authority that is outworked in our collective number together in confidence and in obedience to him because there is no authority unless we come under authority first. So as I wrap up, the security of our identity as individual believers, but but far more crucially as a church, is found and secured in the fact that firstly he is the builder he's still working he will finish what he started in us and in the church he is also the firm foundation the bedrock the one who holds it all together and knits it all together and then that we are his his precious his beloved bride his people more important than to remember who you are is to remember whose you are and then finally his power and authority is alive and at work in us it is the same power that raised Christ from the grave and so we are absolutely containers of that same resurrection power now these are confusing and uncertain times but let us not be confused about our identity If we can't go back to the building on a Sunday morning right now, that's okay. I I know that might sound shocking, but that's actually okay because our identity is not 61 Stewart Avenue. The the building is helpful. I'm sure we will use it again, uh, particularly in Scotland with all of the weather. I think that building is really helpful. But that building is not the church. When we talk about reopening the church, what we're actually talking about is reopening the brick and mortar building. The the brick building closed, but the church continued to function. It it may have changed its clothes, but its identity is unmoved and its power is unquenched. So I want to say loud and clear right here and right now. And if you're a church leader, I don't care whether you stayed open or whether you stayed closed or whether you are about to open or whether you are about to stay closed for longer. Listen to this. The church has never closed through this entire lockdown. The buildings might have closed, but the church never closed. We we are the streams of living water in the wilderness. And as long as we are out in the community, as long as we have a voice, then the church is very much open for business. If we understand our identity to be more than a building, more than an address or a location, then no lockdown is going to lock us out. No restrictions are going to restrict the gospel and no grave is going to be able to hold us in the ground. We are the building. We are the bride. We are the church. And that is exactly where we are going to pick this up next week. So I'll see you there. But for now, bless you in Jesus name. Amen.